This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Mark Stiles, your host. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston Chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. Hey, folks, welcome back to Leadership in Action. This is your podcast for EO Boston Chapter. Today, I'm blessed to have a cultural wordsmith. She's got an amazing pedigree of education at schools such as Dartmouth and Penn State University. She helps business leaders become culturally relevant with the wonders of high quality translation, localization, and interpretation. She's an author of a book called The Language of Global Marketing. She's also a podcast host of The Global Marketing Show. She's been an EO member for two years and also sits on your board. She is the forum chair. She's a language translation expert at Rapport International. Please meet Wendy Pease. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you, Mark. Great to be here. <laughs> so, Wendy, right into it. What is the most positive lesson that you've learned while running a business? It's so cliche cliche ish, but I'm going to use it. There's no I in team. And so, uh, you know, it applies both to running the company and to being on the EO board is just, you know, when I made that conversion from trying to do everything on my own and stay on top of everything to having a management team in my company, um, life got better because all of a sudden I was working with people on solving things. And I, you know, there's parallels with the EO board. You know, this is my third year sitting on it. And when you have a president that's really leaning on uh, the team members who are doing their different roles to get things done, the, bo the board really accomplishes a lot. So it's that, that working together as a team. So is the I in team for you, is it more a sense of um, eliminating the self or creating a better execution and delegation? The I in, the, there's so much around that. And I, I mean, that was one thing that I really came away from business school at Dartmouth with was, was I can only know and do so much. But if I pull together with people um, that don't think like me, don't work like me and have different specialties, we get better ideas and we can accomplish more. So, you know, there's a lot going on right now with uh, diversity and inclusion that's so important. Getting, you know, women in the boardroom and getting BIPOC, you know, Black, Indigenous people of color. Um, we all bring different views and different skill sets in. Like I happen to be marketing, sales, communications oriented. And so with when I'm working with somebody that has a strong financial background, um, I feel like we can do a lot more quickly just because of how we look at something. Um, you know, and I, I love just from my work, there's a story that I love, you know, the Pepperidge Farm cookies. Yeah, of course. What's your, yeah. Yeah. What's your, what's your favorite kind? Petridge Farms remembers. So that's aging me a little bit right there. Remember that commercial? Petridge Farms remembers. There's one that's like, um, 
it's kind of oval shaped with a little bit of chocolate in between the two wafers. I believe that's a Petridge Farm treat. Yeah, and it has the little minty flavor. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, at the Pepperidge Farm factory, they had a lot of people who spoke Spanish, and they said, you know, why don't the Latinos in the U.S. buy Pepperidge Farm cookies? And they said, well, you don't have our favorite flavor. You don't have strawberry. So they created a strawberry-filled Pepperidge Farm cookie. It was either a thumbprint one or a, a filled one. And all of a sudden, in all the Latino dominant areas, uh, the, the cookie started selling. So, I mean, it's just another basic story of if you listen to diversity, your sales are going to go up. And so it's the same thing with the boardroom, EO forums, management teams, get diversity in there, and you'll get different perspectives that can help you run a better business, you know, be a stronger team. Whatever you're so, trying to do as a group. So as a team, one plus one equals three, right? Because you have yeah. certain skill sets. You don't have other certain skill sets that others have. And then it's a multiplying effect. But you see diversity as an important component to that as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's that's a called a, that's of- called a That's called a softball question for you, Wendy. <laughs> I was hoping so because I had already said it was really important to me and we talked about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I I do a lot of stuff. You know, I'm speaking in an upcoming diversity panel in the tourism industry. I do a lot of stuff in that area. And my the flag that I'm carrying is think of diversity for language. You know, if you're only speaking English, you're leaving a lot on the table. If you have a business. Uh, that has a website and you sell something that could be sold online, add a little bit of translation in there and get new uh, clients, customers, either from your local area because they speak English or Brazilian or Chinese, you know, um, Brazilian Portuguese or Chinese, or because you're attracting international customers that, that are coming in. It's like and a no brainer. You don't have to create new new products and services. So that's that's a beautiful segue into, you know, the conversation that I'm hoping to have with more EO members is, you know, I see these folks at the learning days and at the social events and all of this, but I don't really know what a lot of folks do. So can you help explain what you do as a company? Sure. So what we do is we connect people across languages and cultures in over 200 languages by providing high quality written translation and spoken interpretation. Okay, then people usually look at me and say, what the heck does that mean? And so what I say is, you know how you go to a company and they have a website and it's translated and then you wanna communicate with them through chat or telephone or you become a customer and you have to read uh, those user manuals that you're so excited when you see the 100 pages it comes in and then you realize two of them are in English and you don't have to read the other languages that are there. Those are the kinds of things that we do. We do uh, packaging. So if you go to the store, if you go to the toy store and you look at the Tomy products and you see uh, multilingual packaging on there, uh, that's what we do. Um, If you go to let's see, the Red Sox and you see anything in another language, we've done some of that. Um, With nonprofits, we work with companies when they want to do fundraising in other languages, because people here in the United States 
are, are the, most of the immigrants are highly educated and hold high level jobs. Oftentimes spouses won't speak English. And so, but they'll support and donate at the same um, rates that English speakers will. It goes across language and culture. So if you're involved in a nonprofit, make sure that you're translating uh, materials to do fundraising along with providing services. Um, you know, the if you think of the UN and there's the conference interpreting with the yeah. headsets on and you've got somebody that's repeating what the speaker said, that's called simultaneous interpreting. We do that. Uh, if there's an interpreting at, uh, interpreter at a court case, a doctor's office, a deposition, a company meeting, a, a um, facilities tour, that's called consecutive interpreting where they're repeating. And then we also do telephone and video interpreting. So anything from one language to another except teaching. <laughs> that's a, that's really fascinating. And I, and I see the name of your book and your podcast revolve around marketing. And you mentioned that that's a key component to your, your passion early on. It makes tremendous sense. It appears that you can get way more reach if you expand into multiple languages. What, what would hold somebody back from doing that? Fear of quality. Okay. It's probably the, the biggest. I don't know how to check the quality. I don't know how to talk to the people. I don't know how to do it, but there's all, I mean, we had a client that um, provide analytical services, uh, um, like buyer information. So they did research on what electronic products were selling. And so people who created consumer electronic products could buy their information to figure out what they should keep producing or get ideas for what other products they might be producing. So all of a sudden he was getting requests in from China because they produce a lot of electronic products that come into the United States. And he contacted me and said, well, can you translate these emails? And I said, okay, well, let's talk about this. Emails can be expensive because it's back and forth and back and forth. What kinds of questions are you getting in? And usually they're, you know, within five questions. What do you do? How's it work? How do I sign up? What what are there better options and how much does it cost? You know, there's a there's a great book called They Ask, You Answer that gives the basic questions. So I said, let's develop a landing page in Chinese. So when somebody emails you in Chinese, you can send them the link to that landing page and it's gonna answer all the questions that they're probably having. And so he did that, saved a ton of money and all of a sudden opened up a door to a whole new market. So it's that kind of consulting we like to do before providing the, the translation. That's a great, great strategy. So it's like a frequently asked questions and then call to action, direct them to if they're ready to buy, here they are. However, we're not gonna waste time trying to figure out if we're a right fit, like here it is laid out on a platter. If this is a good fit for you, here are the next steps. Right. And that worked well for that company. For yep. some other companies, sometimes it's a it's a shortened buyer's journey. I mean, when you're thinking about a website or doing marketing, you, you really have three options. One is you translate everything. You know, you look at your buyer's journey for marketing and you take it from step A to step Z and you to and you uh, translate everything. That gets really expensive. The second one is to do a microsite 
So you look at your buyer's journey. You know, I, I need something about us, something about the products and services that we offer, uh, some way, some purchasing that you need to do, frequently asked questions. So then you put up a microsite that people can navigate to when it's all in their language. And then what I just talked about was doing a landing page to answer those questions. So there's different ways to do it. And, it, you know, if you decide to keep adding content, look at what works well in English and then translate those blogs or those pages, because that's what, you know, people are finding helpful. Right, right. What is what is what is triggering them to stay? What is sticky? How it has machine learning and artificial intelligence helped your business? I, I'm glad you asked that question because uh, that's where I was naturally going to next. That is, um, it's not a simple answer is, is it going to put us out of business or is it not? If you're going to use it, there are some serious considerations that you need to go through to make sure you get the quality for anything that's um, important that can affect your revenues, your bottom line, or your liability. Um, so if, if you're on vacation or you're trying to communicate with somebody, sure, use any of the automated translation. If it's important, you've really got to have a human involved in the process. So, um, so kind of like, you know, kind of like where we're at with chat GPT right now, it's a good rough draft. It's a good first yes. draft, but you need now to dig in and make sure it's accurate. But how has, how has the advancements actually helped you, helped you scale, helped you as, as your business uh, become more efficient? Okay. So let me, let me take it back to AI and automated translation and thinking the start began in World War II, and that's when they first started looking at, can we automate language? So there's been excitement about it since then, because we all want to be able to communicate clearly. And they were trying to translate information on the, you know, who we were fighting against so they could, you know, it was a version of spying. So there's been lots of developments of automated translation along the way from those first early ones to Google Translate. Now ChatGPT is, is the latest. So like what you were talking about is if, um, you know, it's a good first rough draft. And if you go to a lot of the automated translations, they'll say it's 95% accurate. Well, that 95% is difficult to calculate. It's just like, is your rough draft 95% there? It depends on what it is. And if you don't get that last 5% accurate, it's going to cause a problem. Now, where it has helped our business, where it's very good is if we develop a translation memory or a LLM, a large language learning yep. model um, for a client, then what we're developing it is specifically for that client with their terminology, their preferred usage and how that's, you know, how they're going to use it. Word on the street right now from the experts, and there's a, there's a great podcast interview that I did with one of the founders of uh, Google Translate. Where do we um, find you? Real quick, real quick. Where can we find that? So go to search the Global Marketing Show. 
Yeah. Uh, you can find it on all the listening apps or you can yeah. find it on, on our website and then just look for it's one of the latest episodes. You can read the write up and click through and link to that. He was fascinating. The best quote was we Google Translate provided bad translation to humanity. <laughs> So anyway, back to the AI where it's helped. We've always used translation memory in the industry. So once we do a translation, we capture that. And if the text is the same, we can reuse it. Okay, so then you're still getting the high quality. There are some companies now that are doing machine translation post-editing, MTPE, they're calling it. And so if you have a lot of information that doesn't have to be completely well-written. You know, you could use a rough draft and it's going to be yeah. okay. Then you could have somebody that could go through and edit it. They're saying if you really want to develop your own custom LLM, you need a million words to go into that. And then you need to manage it because if somebody keeps putting incorrect information into it, then the LLM is going to be pulling that incorrect information and spitting it out. So there's a lot of work going on right now as to how do you manage that quality. There's some, some companies that have started that are just doing quality assessments on it. So I, I am very hesitant still about just taking your content and putting it into Google Translate or putting it into ChatGPT and feeling comfortable using it. Um, if we're going to do a MTPE, machine translation post-editing, we put part of it in, we review it, we have the 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 you know the native the highly qualified translator review it. We haven't even talked about what makes a good translator, and they can either say, yeah, it's good enough where we'd be able to post-edit this, but sometimes they say, no, it just doesn't capture it right because there hasn't been enough of that kind of content with the language pair put into the system to be able to spit back something good. Got it. Now, the, you mentioned the UN. So that's always been interesting to me. And that feels like it's real time, that they're getting that translation virtually real time. Is that a human being on the other side or is that an automation? It's a human? Those are highly trained humans that understand and um it's it's a skill. They're taking information in at the same time that they're spitting it out. And so what when you talk to them about it, they say what they do is they put their mind kind of in a blank state and they're just kind of repeating what's coming towards them. Completely different skill set than somebody that might be in a deposition. I say that because you're a lawyer <laughs> where they're listening to what somebody says and then they're repeating it. They have a little bit more time. They can take notes to make sure that they're accurately representing that. And so we we do have some training. If you're ever going to be in that situation, how do you work with an interpreter? There's some hints that can can help you. And you mentioned what makes a good interpreter. So let's answer that question. What makes a good translator interpreter? Yeah, so it, translators and interpreters are very different people. Okay. If you think about an author or a writer, that's kind of what a translator is. They take a written document, they sit in front of the computer, they research words, they look at industry stuff. They are trying to, to they can't do it word for word. So they kind of have to take a sentence or a concept and make sure that that's accurately portrayed. Okay, so that's, 
somebody who's home on the computer all day and writing. An interpreter, different skill set. They are the type of person that wants to run around and communicate with people. It's more, it's not really public speaking, but it's more, you know, it, interpersonal relations and going on. A good translator, a lot of them have PhDs and master's degrees, very intellectual, very smart, they quote dictionaries at me, they're very learned individuals. Interpreters help, have to learn how to handle uh, the situations they're in. And when we train people to work with an interpreter, we say, really think of them as a telephone headset. They're a conduit of information. They're not changing your words. So if you start swearing at me right now, and we had an interpreter, the interpreter is supposed to mirror exactly what you say. They don't really have to do the expressions or the gestures or the tone of voice because the other person's like, I'd be looking at you. I could see the anger coming off you. They're giving me the words so I can understand it. If there's something they don't understand, they've been trained to say, I don't understand what the person says. Hang on for a minute while I ask for clarification. They'll get clarification and then they'll interpret. They should never turn and have a sidebar with one of the parties without um, making sure that the two of them are, are interacting together. If there's an uncomfortable situation, they're trained how to get out of that. Um, if there's a conflict of interest, they won't take it on. Um, they can be in some very difficult situations about the subject matter that's going on. And so, uh, you know, how to be appropriate in those, those situations. Um, so it is not anybody that's bilingual. Um, they have to go through training. They have to understand all these parts that go with it. And all of your folks are vetted and, and they have this skill set. Vetted, tested. We keep uh, records on who people, you know, which interpreters our clients prefer. So if we can send them over, we we can. If for any reason they don't like interp an interpreter, it could be, you know, person specific or situation specific, or it could be if we get enough bad feedback about somebody, we're not going to use them anymore. Um, and, and with translators, we use linguistic matchmaking. So if I've got, you know, if you have a content writer in marketing, they get to know your company, they get to know your style, they get deeper knowledge as they continue to work on it. Translation's the same way. You know, the more I get to know your company, the more I'm going to be able to do this quickly, consistently, and high quality. So we'll match up a translator. We've got some client translator pairs that have lasted over 30 years because I bought the business. We've been around over 35 years. So actually some of them are are close to, you know, almost from the beginning. So they can capture that voice, that, that corporate voice, that yes. brand and translate it to make it seem culturally relevant and proper in that culture, right? Because the direct translation may not land. However, if they understand that that brand, that voice, that that uh, messaging, they can convert that so that it makes complete sense in that other culture. Exactly. Uh, and in, in addition to that, they're watching for mistakes. We've caught um, grammatical errors and punctuation errors, date errors, all sorts of errors in the source copy. 
Um, so along with doing that, they're also culturally adapting it. So, you know, there's been times where, uh, you know, we had a good example. We were doing um, Staples tagline a while ago and they had that make work happen, make play happen, make art happen, you know, so they were bookending. Um, and so one of them was make refrigerator art happen. So do you know what refrigerator art is? Nope. Yeah, you do. Think about like it. Like kids' the art pictures and stuff? Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, you know, you know what it is, is you take your kid's picture, you hang it on the refrigerator, you create a galley, you know, you're celebrating their art. Well, the French translator came back and said, yeah, that's not something we have in France. She she lives in the U.S. She's originally from uh, France. And so she said, you know, it's just not a thing. Refrigerators are for keeping food cold. They don't hang stuff all over it. And so we could go back to the client and we could say, that's not a thing there. Do you want to come up with another version? We can work with you on that. Or do you want to just skip that one? And they opted to skip it. The other thing is, is you can bookend in English, but in other languages, you couldn't bookend because of how the grammar and the sentence structure works. So we had to work with them as to what, what taglines would work uh, in their international markets. So that's really fascinating. And it's, it's fascinating that I have that in common with the French because we don't put uh, things on our refrigerator in my house. So immediately I was like, what are you talking about? But yet I do know exactly what you're talking about. Let, let's uh, let's segue a little bit into um, EO. What has been a, a valuable um, use of your time? What has what has been a valuable asset to having joined EO? Well, you know, the Boston chapter is great and I'm glad I sit on the board, but I think the biggest value to me from um, EO is just the global connections. Cool. Um, I'm on the, the Slack Bridges channel. And so there's tons of idea and information on there. Um, I get feedback on anything that I post up there. I get ideas. I've been on a, a lot of, um, you know, my EO groups for learning on marketing, on AI. Um, and then I'm also on the home exchange one. So there's people in EO that will, uh, you know, do house swaps and we have an official group on home exchange. So I just listed on that and I'm hoping to uh, do a home exchange when we go to Australia in December. So for me, it's definitely been um, the, the, global network of people that I've connected with. That's really cool. And in, in your industry, that must be really valuable for you and see that. So I didn't know about the home exchange. I learned something new every time I talk with people on this podcast, but raise your hand if you knew what Wendy's business did. Like this is, this is really informative for me so that, you know, next time when I do see you at a learning event or another EO regional event, like I understand what you do now. Now I can actually think like, I wonder how many of my clients could utilize Wendy's Wendy's team. Um, so I think that's really important. Now let's talk about forum chair and and why you're there. And again, one question I like to ask our board members is if you could accomplish one thing this year while you sit on that, what would that one thing be? Okay, so why I sit on it, I joined EO in March of 2020 when the world shut down. Okay, so we did um, we did the fraternity rush to get into a forum. And um, the forum chair was absolutely fantastic at the time. And she was very patient with me and worked with me. 
I had a couple forms that uh, didn't want to take me in for whatever reason. And it took me almost a year to get into a forum. And that really bummed me out. I mean, a lot of people say, hey, forum is the best benefit from EO. And here I was not even getting that. So, uh, you know, I learned about best practices from global, which is more of a coordinated or collaborative placement. And so uh, the outgoing forum chair asked if I'd be willing to take that on. And luckily, Kathy Doyle was president that year, and she was very supportive of me uh, changing uh, forum placement to collaborative placement. So in June of 2020, I took over a forum chair and I said that year, I'm going to change the placement. And Kathy had a lot of long-term relationships so she could talk to people and say, hey, just try it out. It works so much better. We get new members in. I'm able to understand what they're looking for, understand which forums are looking for uh, new members, try to match them up so there's no conflict of interest, that they are they align with the, the goals of what they're trying to do. I've also been able to launch some su successful forums. And there's a real, I've been on a forum that was brand new and I've been added in. And then we, that brand new forum, um, we merged with another forum that has been around for a long time. There's advantages to that. So, um, but there's, even if you're coming into a new forum and you're getting a good scene moderator and trained, that works really well. So my first year was uh, making sure that we transitioned to, to collaborative placement. My second year, and I had a co-chair the first two years, he took care of all the current forums and the forum health. Second year I came in, um, we transitioned over into using Zoho, a CRM for doing placement and running the chapter. So that was a pretty big deal. My third year, I don't have a co-chair, but I've created a um, forum committee. So there's four people on that. And to support uh, the president, Glenn Grant, this year and his theme for unity, what we've done is um, we're doing four, um, you know, or quarterly forum moderator dinners to bring moderators together to talk about best practices and to build unity across forums so we're not so isolated in our forums um, and then try to bring the health up uh, of the forums and how they're participating. And in years prior, we've had a stipend if you bring in a trainer. This year, working with um, Glenn and Dave Will, who's the uh, learning chair, we're gonna have a chapter retreat and at the chapter retreat, we're going to do some forum upskilling. So uh, this is the year to, to document how to do collaborative placement through Zoho, because uh, that process is working, and then trying to bring the health of the forums up. And the committee chair is great. They're, they're helping to organize the dinners, and they're also uh, learning how to do the collaborative placement so we have more people rather than just me understanding right now, how it works on, on Zoho. That's great. So process. it's, it's, yeah. it's more of not simply how do we recruit and place people, but it's also the health of the existing forums. You know, are these forums yeah. going rogue? Are they not really following protocol and all of what yeah. we expect a forum to do and then bring them together? Right. Yeah. Cause it's, there is, and we talked about this at the last quarterly dinner, there's a life cycle of a forum. There's, um, you start with 
forming, you know, you're all coming together. And anytime even an established forum adds a new member, you're forming again yeah. because you've got a new person in there. Then you go into storming, you know, what it's in the forming stage, you need a strong leader, a strong moderator that really can kind of set the guideline in the storming. Now you've got people kind of testing things. You know, what are we expecting on our retreats? How closely are we going to um, um, start on time and hold each other accountable and listen to the timekeeper when we're out of time and, you know, do have forum mindset where we're not telling people what to do, but we're experience sharing. So then you go into, once you kind of storm, you go into norming. Okay, we're we're a group. We're now functioning. We have different roles. We're, we're getting into a normal rhythm. And then once you get past that, you're performing. So you're pushing each other. You're really going down into that 1%. You have enough of a track record where you can, um, you know, call each other out on things, you know, on the, the, um, Jahari window, where are those blind spots that I don't see yet that you might be noticing that you can bring? Okay, so that's performing. Now, every time you add a new person in, you're going back to forming. But if you stay with the same people for too long, you start to slope down that other side of the bell curve. And you either have to restart your forum, like figure out how to get some training, how to add somebody new in how to add uh, some new best practices in so you can go back up to the performing level. If you don't do that, the performance of the forum starts dropping down and that's where you end up going rogue or disbanding or having some issues or not getting as much value out of there. So we talked to the moderators in the last quarterly dinner and we're hoping that everybody takes that back to their forum to have that discussion. And and see where you are on that on that uh, life cycle. It's an amazing um, analogy, and somebody recently recommended a book to me, so I'm going to throw that out there. It is called Strength to Strength, and it talks about that exact same thing with respect to your career and the curves of life. So you start to run up that hill, you acquire, you win, you compete, but then your professional skill set starts to diminish. Where do you go? Do you go down the hill or do you jump to that next curve? And it was so impactful for me. I, I'm an audible listener, which is why I love podcasts so much. I listened to it and then started it over again right away. And I've done that very few times. Strength wow. to strength. Yeah. Highly strength encouraged. To strength. Uh, so yeah. Wendy, when you're not running a fantastically successful business, making people super happy, with uh, the translation and interpretation skills or volunteering your time so selflessly with EO and the board, what do you do for fun? Oh, for fun, I love uh, being physical. Since I sit at a desk all day, it's anything to get me out. So it's hiking, running, biking, swimming, camping, <laughs> anything like that so if you call me up and say you want to go for a hike over hey do you want to grab lunch or dinner i'm thrilled uh so we can move you know that's funny you say that so another one of what i refer to as a covid positive right so we had this this social spacing and you know those lunches and those coffees and those in-office meetings turned into let's go on a hike let's go walk yeah. a trail and do a strategy session i still do that because i'm I'm not a fan of status quo. I'm not a fan of the beer. I'm not a yeah. fan of, you know, the heavy lunch. 
And, you know, coffee's when a lot of the productive stuff is happening. So, you know, mid, late morning, you know, early afternoon, let's go meet at a trailhead and, you know, throw the phones in the, in the car and let's go. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, no. And that was, uh, that was great. A lot of the EO members like Kate Morgan and I went for a hike once and then hung out at the, at my fire pit in the backyard. And then I've done a lot of walking with, uh, Kathy Doyle and Shauna, you know, we, we would, uh, walk. So I got to get that back in there. Somehow it's dropped off a little bit. There you go. Write that down too. Sandra Patakis and I are supposed to go swimming. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. There's uh, a lot of a uh, lot of EO members. Uh, Boston are doing the peaks. They're summiting all of the multiple summits in New Hampshire. I've talked with a few of them about that. Yeah, I hiked with Varun and Casey. We did uh, we did a peak once. Uh, well, Got to do that again. Yeah, love it. Love it. I love this group. Yeah, let me know who else group. is doing that. That would be fun to do it. Keep One of the podcast it. guests, Bottom Mountain. He was under contract at the time. I, I need to reach back out and see how that went. He was under contract to buy a mountain in New Hampshire, which is so cool. But you'll have to listen to all of the podcasts here at Leadership. Well, you better put that one in the show notes or let me know who it was because I want to hear that one. <laughs> Will do. Will do. Well, okay. I want to thank you, Wendy, for sharing your time with us sharing your your visions with the the forum chair and and most importantly telling us what you do i really i think it's really important that everybody has a basic understanding what what everyone's doing right yeah i think that's a great idea so i will go back and listen to more of these and continue to subscribe to it so i can learn about others in the chapter thank you for doing this i love it and we will be certain to check out your podcast and that podcast is called again The Global Marketing Show. Folks, if you're podcast consumers, go find that. I'm sure it's amazing, especially if she's talking to former Google people. I mean, give me a break. Well, thank you folks for listening. If you learned something today, if you laughed, if you thought of somebody, somebody who might maybe need Wendy's services, forward this to them, share it with them, share it with everyone. Why not? Thanks again, Wendy. Thank you. Folks, this has been another exciting episode of Leadership in Action, your Boston Chapter of EO's podcast. Please enjoy and have a great week. Be well. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston Chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.